This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We'll talk some transportation today. There's some legislation proposed following the train derailment in Ohio back in February and why this legislation is key to Missouri, given that two of the nation's busiest rail centers are right here in the Show Me State. I-70 is getting its largest makeover in history. We'll find out about that. St. Louis City SC is having a very successful first year in Major League Soccer. Matt Crossman, a writer for Missouri Life magazine, went to the first MLS game in St. Louis history to eat food. The choice is for fans, offers them taste from around the world. He'll be here to talk about that. And the heat of this summer brings one of the most expensive months for utility expenses. Helping you save some cash with some simple tricks is Jeff Berg. He's with Ameren, Missouri's senior program. And he's here with Marshall Griffin to discuss ways to keep cool and save. What are what are the projections that you're seeing right now as far as how hot it may be this summer or any ideas about how much uh, electrical megawattage might be used up? Well, you know, I think it's always hard to say um, in terms of how the season's going to go. We certainly, uh, to your point, have had a, uh, a warm June. Um, we've had some really high temperatures. Um, and, you know, what I do know is that July and August are typically our hottest months. Um, so we, we certainly expect um, some more uh, temperatures, you know, uh, like we've seen in the highs in the, the 90s and, you know, pushing 100 uh, coming up in a the, in the couple months uh, of July and August. And uh, you're here. One of the reasons we're talking is to talk about ways to um, save or conserve money during these really hot months, but also, and at the same time keep your your homes relatively cool. So, um, what are some um, what are some tips that you have for us? First of all, you know I think it's important for us to say uh, we want to make sure our customers are staying safe during the hottest part of the year, right? That's why we're talking, and and that means um, first and foremost, if customers have access, if they have air conditioning. Uh, to use that uh, that air conditioning, whether that's a um, you know window unit or if they have central air, the most important thing is health and safety. You know, particularly for seniors and those medical concerns where you know that is more of a concern. Uh, you know, that said, um, whether or not uh, you know even with air conditioning, there are things you can do every day today, right now, that customers can do at home uh, to help uh, stay safe and cool. One of those things um, is uh, creating a breeze. You know, I think we've all had the experience of being outside on a hot day and a breeze blows and it just feels cooler, right? Um, using both a fan and an air conditioner together uh, keeps that air moving in a room and it can cool a person down more than just having the, the air conditioning by itself. So you can feel just as cool and maybe bump that thermostat setting up a couple degrees and save money uh, that way. And let me jump in a second uh, for people who might have ceiling fans. There's a, a certain way to rotate them in the summer and in the winter. So what, what, uh, what are those ways uh, for summertime? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, in the summer, the ceiling fan should go counterclockwise uh, to create that cool breeze, and that helps push the air um, actually down. And in the winter, opposite, right? That's right. That's right. When you get, get into the cooler months, um, there should be a switch on the ceiling fan. You can switch that, and it'll turn it uh, clockwise, and that'll help um, circulate that, that air in a way that keeps it a little keeps it feeling a little warmer in the winter. And uh, let's and moving on. Uh, apparently, one of the one of the other things to do is to make sure that your air vents are clear. Uh, tell us what what can happen when the air vents aren't properly cleared. Yeah, yeah. 
And so, so it, it is helpful uh, to keep your vents unblocked um, and then also replace your air filters on a regular basis. Um, essentially, that helps your air conditioner work more efficiently. Uh, your system is set up, uh, you know, with uh, a certain airflow uh, expectation of, of a certain airflow going through that system. And when the vents are blocked or the air filters are clogged, uh, that air can't flow. So it makes your air conditioner work harder to push the air um, through those clogged uh, areas um, and get it throughout your house. So basically, um, you know, it's working harder, it's having to work longer, um, and, and driving up some of the energy costs associated with keeping your, your house cool. So so keeping those vents unblocked and, and you know, replacing those air filters will really help keep the, the cost down uh, during the summer months. And, of course, another one is uh, making sure your window shades are closed. That uh, direct sunlight going through windows can definitely cause heat. So is there a particular advantage over curtains or blinds, or does it matter? Probably not a big difference between curtains or blinds. Um, you know, light-colored uh, uh, window coverings uh, do a little bit better job in terms of blocking or reflecting heat coming into the rooms. Uh, but in the end, whether it's a blind or whether it's a curtain, you know, the important thing is just to uh, try and remember to, to close that up um, uh, during the sunny parts of the day when, that, when a room might get direct sunlight. Um, I certainly do this in our uh, east-facing uh, bedroom in the mornings. Um, it makes a huge difference um, in, in keeping the temperature down. Just even if you just focus on the, the parts of the day where this specific room is getting, uh, you know, direct sunlight. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Jeff Berg. He's the Senior Program Supervisor for Residential Energy Efficiency with Ameren, Missouri. Well, uh, what are some other tips for uh, keeping your house cool during the summer? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that um, people might not think about is is using kind of alternate cooking methods. Um, like I said, people might not think about it, but using cooktops and ovens ends up producing a lot of heat in the kitchen. I've talked to um, a couple folks about tips like this over the last week, and I've started paying attention. I've used the oven a couple times, and it feels like I have a space heater in the corner of my kitchen. Um, so if you have, you know, option uh, the option to kind of grill outdoors or use things like a slow cookers or toaster ovens, um, things that won't add as much heat to the room, you know, that might be a good option, especially on the really hot days, uh, to keep kind of the heat load in the house and specifically in that kitchen down. What about your thermostat? Yeah, with the thermostats, Air Missouri uh, does offer uh, rebates on smart thermostats, and those enable you to to do a couple things. Uh, one, uh, you can you can set a, a schedule um, with set points uh, to make it uh, you know as comfortable as you like it. Uh, the other thing that it does is, is they learn. Um, they can both learn and they can sense when you're there and when you're not, and, and that'll help um, you know help you keep uh, cool. Uh, when you're there, and then also save you money uh, when you're not there, when your schedule might be set, you know, say at 72. If you're not there, you can have it automatically set um, to go up to 75 uh, and, and save some money while you're not in home uh, and not needing to be uh, quite as cool in the house. Well, that brings up the question of uh, smart house technology. Does that help or can that help in any way in uh, keeping your house uh, cooler during the summer and saving some money? You know, I think the big the big smart house technology that can help with that is the smart thermostat because, uh, you know, in the summer, um, really your biggest uh, expense in terms of, uh, you know, your energy usage and your bill is going to be your heating and cooling system or cooling in the summer. And so, and so that's really, you know, I think the best tool 
that customers can use to, to kind of manage their schedule uh, in terms of a smart home. There are other things, um, you know, that you can use uh, like smart plugs, uh, smart outlets um, to manage and, and kind of do schedules for things like uh, smaller appliances or light bulbs. And those will definitely save you energy um, and are a good thing to think about um, maybe in the winter months when we use more lighting to keep some of the costs down there. But in the summer, if we're talking about, you know, heating and cooling and, and staying comfortable, um, really the smart thermostat is, uh, is the big one. Well, let's say the, somebody follows all these tips and advice and uh, it's helping, but then we get into a really big heat wave and, and you know, the, even with these cost-saving measures, someone is still having trouble paying their bills. What kind of help can they get? Sure. That's a great question. You know, like I said, we want our, our customers to stay safe uh, during that extreme heat. But, you know, but like you're saying, you know, we do understand that some customers uh, may struggle with paying their bills. Um, there is help that is available. Uh, we have a, a website, mmzuri.com slash energy assistance. And customers can, can visit that uh, to learn about various support options, either through Ameren, Ameren actual Ameren programs, or through other, other agencies, like state, state weatherization agencies. So these would be options like flexible payment plans, budget billing, uh, some more direct monetary assistance, uh, things like Likey or um, Ameren's Dollar More or Keeping Cool programs. There are a variety of options there. Um, they have different kinds of assistance based on, you know, really different kinds of need. Um, but, you know, the point is that there are programs out there that can help customers. Um, so we definitely encourage them to, to visit that site. Um, that's AmerMissouri.com slash energy assistance and, and reach out to us for, for information on those programs. Yeah, that was uh, Jeff Berg. He is with Amber, Missouri. He's the Senior Program Supervisor for Residential Energy Efficiency. Now, if you're tuning in late or want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Since Missouri's agricultural community joined together to help support the launch of Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids in 2017, the drive has generated 11,224,132 meals that have all been donated to Missourians in need. Together, we can get Missouri food products on the plates of hungry Missouri children and their families. Visit mofarmerscare.com slash drive to learn more and join the effort. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Every day, we take steps to keep the people we love safe. But some health risks are easy to miss. Ticks hiding in the yard can spread germs, like the ones that cause Lyme disease. Mice searching for food can spread bacteria that makes us sick. Mosquitoes lay eggs in standing water and can spread West Nile virus and more. Cockroaches are drawn to water in the home, leaving behind allergens that can trigger asthma attacks. Common pests can threaten our health. Learn how to protect your family at pestworld.org. My therapist had told me that I needed to go to AA meetings, but I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. That was not what I wanted to grow up and be. I didn't want to go to AA, but I did, and it wasn't what I expected by any means. 
It was friendly. I could feel it. I mean, I could feel the happiness. It's really great. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non Governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety and donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, I-70 getting its largest makeover in history. Governor Mike Parson signed the new state operating budget, the $2.8 billion plan to widen the interstates to at least three lanes statewide. Elisa Nelson talks to Morgan Mundell with Missourians for Transportation Investment, who's been lobbying for the overhaul. We're very excited, um, you know, to see what the state has done. And we applaud Governor Parson and, and as well as Senator Lincoln Hoff for, for their visionary leadership on what they've done. Missouri has chased I-70 for decades now, how to fix it, how to keep it up. We have been spending hundreds of millions of dollars over the last two to three decades just trying to keep it where it's at. And to be quite honest, most people aren't happy where it's at. Um, if you look at other states, we were at six lanes. Uh, Missouri sits at the crossroads of America. I-70 is the economic lifeline uh, for the for the entire state, for people to come in and out of the state, for businesses to move their products in and out of state, and for farmers to move their product to market. So we're incredibly excited about the governor's leadership on this issue and and looking at what's to come in the in the coming years. What? sort of work will go into the whole overhaul i'm curious like when we could possibly see the bulldozers out well you know we're hoping to see the bulldozers out probably in the next year um and, and modot has moved very quickly uh, they've already done uh, a couple of bids that they've put out uh, to start design work and start looking at some of the environmental work that needs to be finished up I believe that it was either last week or this week they announced uh, a bid process for a section of I-70 during the Kansas City area. I think that you'll see 70, the 7063 interchange. Um, they're probably going to take a, a moment and reevaluate that project, but I would expect to see uh, dirt turning in Columbia um, probably by uh, next summer easily. All right. Let's get the show on the road, huh? Um, Absolutely. We're excited. What did the governor um, do in terms of Interstate 44, Morgan? So one of the one of the proposals that was out there was was more of a long term long term plan, and, and what what we told people was is we want to see dozers on I-70 turning dirt, moving it to six lane, because I-70 was almost shovel ready. But while we've got the dozers on 70, we're turning dirt and pouring concrete uh, there and, and expanding it to six lanes, 
we want to get 44 to the same spot that 70 is right today. And so the governor and the legislature approved uh, general revenues to be used uh, to plan for the initiation of the necessary federal environmental assessments so that when I-44 can be done, when I-40, when I-70 is done, I-44 will be ready for expansion as well and for, and for the state to consider that as a six-lane interstate as well coming out of St. Louis all the way to the Oklahoma state line. Okay, so a nice smooth transition would be nice there. Get done with one, then you can jump on and not miss a beat and start on the other. What, exactly. What was the price tag on that? Uh, for uh, the I-70 money was $2.8 billion is what they appropriated, and then there was an additional $20 million that was uh, appropriated for I-44 for the entire stretch for the environmental assessment. What about any other important transportation projects to mention? Were there any others that we should be highlighting? Um, well, I, you know, I think that if you look at what MoDOT's doing right now, they're being a good steward of the tax dollars, and that uh, recent Highway Commission meeting at the beginning of the month, uh, their five-year step plan, uh, which is a statewide transportation improvement plan, included $14.4 billion worth of work uh, over the next five years. So I think that you're going to see a lot of yard, uh, a lot of road signs up. Um, you'll probably have some unhappy people uh, due to orange cones, uh, but that's a fact of life. Uh, we have to take care of our highways. We have to upgrade them, improve them. And as cities grow and as counties grow, we need to accommodate uh, the ever-changing transportation needs in Missouri communities. So I think that there's a lot to come for all of Missouri, just not I-70, but through through the entire process of, of what we do with roads and bridges in Missouri. Governor Mike Parson has uh, taken action on the next state budget proposal, and it begins July 1st. Uh, more than $555 million of the Missouri legislature's state budget items were vetoed. Um, a key item that survived $2.8 billion to expand Interstate 70 from the Kansas City to St. Louis areas to at least six lanes, another $20 million. Uh, to work on a study for Interstate 44. Morgan Mundell with Missourians for Transportation Investment joined Show Me Today to talk a little bit about this plan. Um, were there any transportation-related projects that were vetoed in the budget proposal that should also be mentioned? Well, you know, we're still digesting it. The, uh, the announcement just came out about half an hour ago, and, and so we're looking at it. So we have seen a couple of smaller projects um, that were regional projects that were vetoed. Uh, some of those projects were actually already in the step. Uh, the legislature was attending, was attempting to accelerate those projects a little bit. Uh, but they're still in the step, and they're still going to get done anywhere from the next 18 to you know, 36 or 48 months. Um, but these were all the projects that, that were vetoed were smaller projects and, and more of a local significance. Two point eight billion for Interstate seventy. I feel like this is the this is by by and large the biggest uh, investment that I have seen, uh, at least from the Missouri Legislature. Um, from state government, from the governor's office, since I've been here, so since 2015, did you think, did you think you'd see this day? Because when I talked to you back in December, I'm thinking, wow, you're you're really going after it here. 
to try and get this to happen and you made it happen? Well, you know, a lot of people made it happen. And, and again, I, I just don't think we can underestimate, you know, what Governor Parson and, and Senator Huff have done on this project. Uh, you know, a lot of people said this couldn't be done. Uh, this probably is the largest public infrastructure project in the history of Missouri. And I've compared Missouri to a couple of other states. And, you know, my guess is we're probably, you know, as far as highway and road and bridge projects go, this will probably be one one of the top five projects in the United States for the coming years. So, again, I mean, this is a monumental leap forward, um, you know, to address Missouri's economy, to address Missouri's infrastructure. And, you know, I just don't think enough can be said for what Governor Parson and Senator Huff have done to help make this happen. Have you heard about um, trying to make Highway 36 with I-72 and trying to bring those together in Northeast Missouri? Do you see that as something that we need to work on as well? You know, there's been a lot of discussion over the years about Highway 36. You know, it runs in a straight shot across the northern half of uh, Missouri. Um, there's concerns there about, you know, the agricultural community and farmers being able to, you know, move their combines and their farm implements from one farm uh, to another and across the highway and, and back over as needed. Um, but it's, you know, that's been around for a number of years. And I think we're going to continue to have a discussion about that. Um, you know, as Missouri grows, uh, we look at our unemployment rate, it's at two and a half percent. The economy in Missouri is great. It's open for business. We have new businesses opening all of the time. And so, you know, Highway 36 is definitely an option to expand our infrastructure and our freight network. Anything else you want to add, Morgan, before we wrap this up? No, I just think that, you know, the legislature has done a great job. You know, Governor Parson brought this idea forward, and, and there was definitely a, a collective uh, effort by the Missouri legislature to get this done. And I think that our House and Senate members should be applauded for their work uh, this past legislative session. Absolutely. A lot of people involved in this. And one of the big parts of the governor's state of the state address this year was when he uh, proposed to expand Interstate 70 in some of the bottleneck areas. So let's get going on Wentzville, right? You've heard me talk about it so many times, Morgan. <laughs> People have been wanting Wentzville fixed for years, and I think we're we're just we're right on the cusp of getting that issue fixed. All right, if you uh, want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you talk they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes. But if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The Cardinals are in last place. The Royals are in last place. Chiefs training camp still two weeks away. I mean, if you follow soccer, even the team in Kansas City is near the bottom of the standings. The only successful team we have right now is St. Louis City SC, the new Major League Soccer franchise. They're in first place in the Western Conference. They started their season back in February. They've played 20 games already. I mean, the time has flown by. Matt Crossman is a writer for Missouri Life magazine, and we've had him on before. He went to that first MLS game in St. Louis to watch that soccer team. He's here to talk about that experience. Matt, great to talk with you again. As always, I appreciate you having me. It's a pleasure. We've had Matt on, uh, This I think this is your third time now. You've uh, you've dropped pumpkins out of an airplane. You were, uh, you were at, <laughs> you were at opening day for, is it bass season or trout season? What is it? 
it was trout trout uh, it was technically it wasn't opening day it was just fishing for the heck of it at montauk state park gotcha okay yeah all right so you've done that and now you've uh You've gone to the first soccer game uh, in MLS history in St. Louis. Uh, in this particular case, uh, a PR person who works for the team who was promoting the incredible food scene uh, at the soccer stadium uh, pitched the story to me. And uh, I'm not the smartest uh, guy in the world, but if someone says, hey, do you want to go to this historic, awesome opening uh, day of this historic, awesome soccer stadium and eat some of the best food in St. Louis and bring somebody with you, nine times out of nine, my answer to that question is yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. So, uh, I, was, I was looking at your article. You brought Mike. Was Mike the guy that took you fishing? No, it, actually, this is kind of a funny story. So uh, Mike uh, is, uh, is Mike McLaughlin, and he happens to be uh, the pastor of my church and a close friend of mine. And I know he's a huge soccer fan. He has had a very... Uh, dynamic soccer ministry uh, here in Cottleville, where we live, for many years. And initially, uh, I was going to take my wife to the game uh, because she's a foodie, and all of the, the 25 different vendors, all of them local, all of them sort of handcrafting food for you at the soccer game, uh, that's right in my wife's wheelhouse. So Mike emails me and says, I can't believe you're going to the soccer game and didn't invite me. And I said, well, you know, for whatever reason, my wife backs out, and I can't find anybody better than I'll invite you. Uh, and it turned out, uh, once my wife found out that there was actually a soccer game attached to that, her interest in it dropped. So <laughs> I got to take Mike. Yeah, I, I, I told him uh, from now on, I'm I'm automatically uh, his, his favorite congregant, you know, by definition, no one can ever top me. And he said, no, actually, my wife's name is Emily. He said, no, actually, I'm, I'm going to give that to Emily because she's really the one who made it possible for right. me to go. But you're going to be my second. Yeah. So I yeah. said, okay. Fair enough, I'll take second. We're with Matt Crossman, a writer for Missouri Life magazine, who went to the first MLS soccer game in St. Louis. And you're right. I mean, soccer in the U.S., I think St. Louis is the birthplace. It was big. We finally got that franchise. Um, are, are you a big soccer fan? What, were, what was it like for you going into it? Not a huge soccer fan, but I am a big fan of events that draw people together, events that everybody is excited about, that everybody wants to see. And I, I don't dislike soccer. I just, it, you know, I, I grew up playing baseball and football and basketball. Soccer wasn't on my radar. Uh, and I never lived in a city that had a team. Uh, but I'm coming to appreciate it a little more, and I definitely appreciate the, the atmosphere and what it was like to be in that stadium. It was just, it was so exciting. They won that first soccer game. In fact, won their first five matches. Uh, and like I said, now they're in first place in the Western Conference. So the food is a, a big thing, though. This is a whole different level for uh, Major League Soccer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and they're pretty proud of that. And they've made that uh, in sort of an inseparable part of uh, attending the game. Uh, so there's 25 uh, different vendors uh, you know, curated by a chef named Gerard Kraft, who is a James Beard Award winner, which is like the top of the top of the food world. And so, yeah, you're walking around there, and you can get a hot dog if you want. You can obviously get a beer uh, if you want, and a pretzel. You can have, you know, sort of quote-unquote normal uh, food, but you can also get Balkan Treat Box, which is basically my favorite St. Louis uh, restaurant. I had Mexican food. I had uh, Cuban food. I had uh, Vietnamese food. You can have uh, pretty much 
almost whatever you could guess. Uh, I mean, you can get pizza too. So yeah, whatever whatever you're hungry for, that's what you can get. Matt, is that just uh, unique to St. Louis, or do they do that at all the major league soccer cities uh, and venues? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not a, a full fledged expert on what every soccer team does, so I don't want to overstate what I know and understand. Uh, so certainly, uh, soccer food is uh, different than baseball food is different than football food, but St. Louis has taken it to the next level. Well, and I would imagine with soccer being a world game that you have so many different cultures and so many different nationalities of fans that come to the game that you kind of want to have a nice cross-reference of, of food, too. That is exactly 100% right. Yeah. That uh, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that not only is it uh, all, all 25 of those vendors are local, uh, but it's not... And there are traditional, you know, St. Louis vendors, you know, uh, but it's not just uh, the local pizza place. It's not just the local hamburger place. It's the local Cuban place. It's the local Mexican place. It's the local whatever. Uh, and, yeah, that international uh, flavor of it is absolutely intentional, you know, for two reasons. One, uh, so that it represents the population of the city. But, two, that it's, it's a nod to soccer being much more uh, of an international sport than uh, baseball is for sure, and that uh, you know American football is for sure. That uh, you you know you don't, I don't know you would, if you would say you would have to do that, but it's certainly uh, the expectation of that being not an American, just an American event, uh, is why they did it that way. Matt Crossman is with Missouri Life Magazine. He wrote an article on the the food, and uh, at the first St. Louis City SC soccer match, and. You said there were 25 vendors. How many of them did you test? I think I, t I tested uh, four, uh, including one of them twice. Uh, and that was really because uh, the only reason I, I quote unquote was only four is that my stomach is only so big. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, in, in addition to wanting to go back, uh, just because, you know, attending that game was, it was the, the, the sense of place was just so powerful. It was like opening day. Uh, and a playoff game uh, at the same time. Uh, yeah, I want to go back because there's a lot more food that needs that I need to. I need to double check it. You know, it's kind of like when my, you know, if my kids make chocolate chip cookies, I need to have the dad tax, and I need to do the poison test, and I need to redo the dad tax, and I need to redo the poison test just to make sure the first one wasn't, you know, a false, a false negative. So there's a there's a, some some really important journalism. Uh, to, lots to be done. Yeah, the poison test. That's great. I pull that one out of my kids all the time when they were younger. Oh, man. Matt Crossman uh, with Missouri Life Magazine. Well, you go to a baseball game and you can get your nachos and a couple drinks and, you know, you come back to your seat and you, you got this, you know, your hands are full. You sit down, you know, in between pitches, in between innings, you can you can snack and eat. Soccer, though, it seems like people are always on their feet. They're always chanting or singing songs. When, <laughs> yeah. when do you have time to eat? Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Uh, and, and Mike and I, uh, you know, the, the, the pastor and the friend that met with me to the game, we discussed that, um, frankly, at some, at some length, because, uh, frankly, I would not care terribly if I missed five minutes of the game so I could run and get nachos and not have to wait <laughs> in line that whole time. He wasn't having that. Uh, he was... You know, he understands and comprehends and cares about the actual event on the field uh, much more than I do. So we went, uh, most of our eating was done on the way to our seats. Uh, you know, we, we stopped four times. Let me, let me think. Yeah, we stopped. 
uh, you know, yeah. So we stopped four times on our way to our, our seats, which is isn't exactly a, a model of self control, but whatever. Uh, and then at halftime, uh, I ran and got us uh, a, a more traditional uh, nachos, um, but they were great. So he, yeah, he was not having uh, leaving his seat during the game, but I, I was okay with that. Yeah, Matt Crossman, Missouri Life Magazine. Great catching up with you again. It's a, a pleasure, as always. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get to talk about 50-50-50 and whether we survived it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, only the success stories. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Matt. <laughs> this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. If a baby is giggling in the back seat, they're probably happy. If a baby is crying in the back seat, they're probably hungry. But if a baby is sleeping in the back seat, will you remember they're even there? When you're distracted, stressed, or not usually the one who drives them, the chances of forgetting them in the back seat are much higher. It can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get in the habit of checking the back seat when you leave. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs. But it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap, and the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Teddy! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm your host, Bill Pollack. Anthony Morbeth has our next segment. The Railway Safety Act of 2023 came about following the February 3rd train derailment in Ohio. 
This legislation is key to our states, given that two of the nation's busiest rail centers are located in the Show Me State. Anthony's here with Brittany Kohler with the National League of Cities on what this proposed legislation does. So the purpose of this legislation is to make every train stay on its track and to, to really look holistically at what we can do to increase safety across the country. The National League of Cities recently built a, a visual map of how many times trains come off the tracks, they derail, um, and how many times those have created fatalities and injuries. Um, and this heat map is a, a visual that you really can't look away from. It, it shows you how often this is happening um, and how often it could happen in your, your neighborhood your city, uh, right in the middle of your downtown as a city leader. And so we've, we've seen this map and we believe it's a reason for this bill to, to continue to move forward um, and to hopefully earn the support of all of Missouri's delegation, um, whether that's transportation lead Sam Graves in the House um, or your senators. Um, we, we certainly see there there's a lot of potential for the safety incidents of yesterday to keep happening uh, without this bill. And so we're excited to, to see it moving forward in the Senate, um, but we have a lot of work to do to get it through. So I'm reading that this legislation helps protect U.S. cities of all sizes from basically this happening in the future. And in the event something like this does happen, I'm curious, how is this going to be enforced? So a lot of it comes down, you know, the, the first part of the bill is about the communication when there is an emergency, about what's on the train, how the first responders are given that information, and how how often they they have to to deal with these things without the level of technology that we know exists. Uh, and so you see sort of a merge of both good communication safe practices um, between our first responders coming out of this, but also looking into the technology, those hot boxes. Um, that are, are meant to catch uh, fires and, and hot wheel bearings before it becomes an emergency situation and causes a derailment. Um, so looking at how we're going to improve on those, um, making sure that there are two main crews on, on these trains so that when an accident happens, there's more than one person that's there to start assisting the firefighters um, and to, to help make sure that any con any contaminated um, you know, toxic chemicals that are, are now potentially being leaked are being handled correctly um, and that you're not going to have another East Palestine. And so I think there's a lot of good, a lot of good that can be done as we look to uh, this bill and, and how it would improve the safety and operations of rail. And before we continue on in our discussion, if you're tuning in later, if you want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri on Apple Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts, type in Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, and click listen, follow, subscribe, and download, and take us with you. Uh, Brittany, I'm curious, is there something to be said about this legislation being put together before the NTSB's investigation into the accident concludes? So we think that there are a variety of reasons to move forward now. For example, NTSB reports can take up to two years, um, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on um, what, what's involved. But we, we fully believe that there's room uh, to act on what we know today, um, which the railroads have um, acknowledged are, are all problems, such as the communication between first responders 
and their train units. How do we improve that? Um, that this is a bill that does that. Um, and so there's a lot here that we, we've known for a long time needed to happen. It's just been a matter of waiting until there's enough to be said to sort of put it all together. Um, and when the NTSC report comes out, we're glad to see that, um, you know, also encourage congressional action. Um, but c Congress has a, a tendency to wait until there is an emergency. Um, and I think in this case, we've seen the emergency and it's time to act. And as we come back to to the, the NTSB report, let's use that as another point of contention to say, okay, what further changes do we need to make? Do you think in your professional and humble opinion, the response regarding uh, this train derailment in Ohio has been slow? Should it have been faster? Uh, what's your take? We certainly know that with so many uh, train tracks in people's backyards and running through communities. This has been a concern for a long time. City leaders have not been shy about reaching out to their members of Congress, their senators. And I, I think that that just shows you how much of a boiling point we've reached with this issue, um, that there's, there's a need to act here um, and to not wait and to not let the emergency pass with, without action. Um, and Congress, you know, we, we understand that there's a need for more information. There's always going to be a need for more information. Um, so we want to get the good that we can do now done. Um, and I think that that will help protect communities and really make sure that folks who have rail in their backyards can sleep well at night. And I'm going to ask this as a follow-up, and I have a reason for asking. Do you think that the response might possibly have been just a bit quicker, in your opinion, if it were, say, in a, a more populated area, a bigger city, a more urban area. And my reason in asking is because I know where this city is at. I'm from Ohio. My father has worked in and near this area for, for many years prior to retiring. I'm just curious as to your take. I think that there is such a demand for action from small communities across the country who have said not enough enough. Um, it's time to address some of these issues. And that's, you know, that's what Congress should be listening to. They should be listening to that national voice of united cities, towns, and villages saying it is time to move this issue forward. Um, and we certainly don't want another incident to happen in, in a small community, a medium-sized community, a large community. Uh, but we know that, you know, when there are tragic accidents, it, it causes people's attention to, to turn. Um, and so we want this turn to um, be as as used as possible so that the suffering of the people of East Palestine is heard um, and it's responded to appropriately. Um, because, you know, when you talk to communities that have gone through this, like Marysville, Tennessee, um, and, and many others, you hear the message from them that we never want what happened to us to happen to another community. Um, and I think that that's really what we want to lean into is, is hearing those stories and then using that to take action. Brittany Kohler, Legislative Director for Transportation and Infrastructure for the National League of Cities, joins us on Show Me Today. And we're talking about the Railway Safety Act of 2023 that's making its way through Congress as we speak. And, and with that being said, are you expecting this to pass Congress and be put into law? What is the path forward on this as we're talking about this? 
this bill has passed the Senate Commerce Committee, uh, which is a really critical body for ensuring balanced legislation moves through. Um, it continues to have strong bipartisan support, which helps in a divided Congress like we have right now. Um, and I fully anticipate that the Senate will move on this bill um, and then we'll, we'll see what the House is doing. Um, they've been working on uh, the NTSB reauthorization, which is the, the body that looks into these, these safety incidents when they happen. Um, and so we're really encouraged to see that as well. Um, so I could see some type of, of joint agreement being reached to move this bill and the NTSB uh, reauthorization along with the, the aviation reauthorization uh, maybe this year. Um, we're looking at some deadlines for some of those bills coming up on September 30th. So uh, time is ticking, um, but these bills are, are moving forward and, you know, we'll want to keep them moving forward. Closing question, hypothetical, if this passes Congress and signed into law, when could we possibly see this enacted? So many times these legislative vehicles have specific dates. So if the bill passes, it'll be 30 days, 60 days. Um, we'll be looking at how quickly the, the Federal Railroad Administration can implement this. I, I think that we'll begin to see results, especially from the communication side, really quickly. Uh, because that's what ultimately is is the core of this bill is how do how does that firefighter running towards that that derailed train um, really handle that situation um, and know what's going on with with what's on that train and so those types of choices and and those types of communications are really needing to be set up as soon as possible um, and so we're we're looking forward to um, you know continuing to get this legislation passed that's the first step. Um, and then we'll work really hard to implement that as fast as possible. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.